0: Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord, our glorified Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today is taken from this wonderful account of the Transfiguration, but I will just read these words that are so appropriate. Listen to him. Here ends our text. I think it's important sometimes that we just kind of tell the story of the transfiguration to try to put it into the right kind of context. Jesus had been with his disciples at a place called Caesarea Philippi. It was a very verdant place that set up at the base of Mount Sharon. Beautiful palm trees, lots of water, a huge stream that comes out of the base of Mount Sharon, just out of that hole of the mountain, this huge river just comes rushing forth. It eventually goes down and feeds the Sea of Galilee and so on. It was there that the wealthy Herodians had built their magnificent palaces, but even at that, up there in the cliffs, right above where the water came out, they had placed lots of, of these idols from various religions and various groups. So strange that as Jesus looks at all of these idols, he then turns to Peter and says, who do men say that I am? What kind of a God am I? What kind of a person am I? What's different between me and those things up there in the cliff? Well, some say you're one of the prophets, some say, Maybe John the Baptist come back from the dead. Who do you say I am? You are the Christ. Yeah, the Christ of God, the son of the living God. And what was the difference between that Christ, the son of the living God, and all those idols? It was that this was the God who talked. This was the God who communicates. This is the God who uses words. To take what is inside of him and to impart it to what is inside of us. Then Jesus says, well you're gonna see the kingdom of God soon and eight days later he takes them up upon a high mountain, probably that same Mount Sharon, high up at the very top and there he's praying and as he's praying suddenly a transformation begins to take place. He is transfigured. That is to say, the divine nature is now pulled out. The human nature is the lamp, if you will, and the bright light on the inside is this divine Son of God who shines like a bolt of lightning. And in that strange dimension of space, there also stands two people, Moses and Elijah. Weren't they dead? Weren't Moses and Elijah people that died a long time ago? weren't Well, in Moses' case especially, weren't, wasn't he buried? How can we say that Moses and Elijah were there? Well, that's what Jesus said. That's the kingdom of God. And they are having a conversation. God was talking to them. And God in Christ was speaking to them, the text says, about, it sounds strange to our ears, it says departure in the text, but the word in the Greek is literally, he was speaking about his exodus. His exodus, his departure, where he was going to be crucified, where he was going to be raised again from the dead, and he would be ascending into heaven. And they were talking about that. I would imagine that Peter, James, and John were beginning to get ideas about what it would be like for them. Maybe it would be like the days of Moses where they would be showing up with Jesus leading them and they would be showing up in Jerusalem and they could call forth 10 plagues and then there would be this massive coming of the angel of death and people who didn't believe would be wiped out and people who believed would be translated across some kind of red sea into some new dimension of life perhaps they thought well if Elijah's here we'll get something similar to that You know, Elijah, who had that contest with the prophets of Baal, all 400 of them dancing around, cutting themselves, calling upon that Baal for the purpose of trying to make him see some miracle in front of the people. And God just rains down fire from heaven. On, Moses, on Elijah's sacrifice and he burns up the sacrifice he burns up the altar he burns up the very stones and all the water that had been poured upon the boy that would be so great to be able to have that kind of a visual sight that the world could now come to its knees and worship God and be true believers but guess what with these eyes eyes Nobody is ever converted. Yeah, with what we see, we cannot believe. Instead, we have to believe through this right here. We must believe the word, the word that is spoken to us because our God is a speaking God. And when God speaks to us, His Word does something that idols cannot do. Idols can be things that might glorify. Idols are things we might desire. But the Word speaks into our ears, and it goes into our hearts, and it goes into our minds. And sometimes what we have to do is we have to blind ourselves to these things, these idols, that would divert us and prevent us from being able to believe. For nobody would ever believe, nobody could ever have their heart or their mind changed, even if they saw God in all his glory. They had to see him someplace else. They had to see him come down that mountain and go to a cross and there, at a cross in darkness and in despair and in sadness and in suffering, they would see the true heart and soul of God. But more importantly, they would hear words. And those words would say, It is finished. All sin has been paid for. God is now at peace with you and me. And it seems so strange because what these eyes see and what our ears hear are very different. Remember when you were young, maybe it's been a while, and you raised the question in your mind as to whether or not if you had to lose one of your well, this ability to be able to see or your ability to be able to hear, which one of those, if you had to lose one of them, would you lose? Would you give up? You know, I think most of us are just inclined to think, oh, my goodness, what, we, we can't give up what it is that we see. I mean, the, the trees and the beauty of the hills and, and the people around us and the ability to be able to see where we're walking, it seems as though sight is the one thing that we treasure the most. But in reality, it is actually our hearing that is the most important faculty that we possess because it is through the hearing that we are able to actually know people through words that can communicate and speak into the ear, go into the heart, and go into the mind And the mind is quite capable of being able to see even when it is blind. This idea that we need as Christians to almost cover our eyes is an important one. I think for one reason, because when we see things, it's so convenient. There are always things out there. There are always things that are over there And if we are going to find God by what we see, then God is always in the distance. He's always far away. That's a safer place to be in many respects. We don't want to draw near to God. But I think the other side of it, too, is that what we see when we look at God in his glory is something that is terrifying. To see God in his glory is like Moses and those people at Mount Sinai when God entered into that onto that mountain and the mountain trembled and they looked at the thunder and they saw the thunder and the lightning and they trembled with fear. They weren't trembling merely because there was something unusual. They were trembling because whenever a sinner enters into the presence of God, a sinner trembles because God's holiness is an indictment against us in our sinfulness that's why we like to keep God far away that's why we like to shut our ears up because if that God begins to speak to us then we begin to fear and tremble but there's a reason for why he speaks and why our Lord steps down from that mountain and simply gives us his word The reason is similar to, well, back in the old days some of you will remember this story called Black Beauty. It was a story about this horse called Black Beauty and how that horse, that horse was in a barn and that barn caught on fire. And when the horses inside of that barn saw that barn burning, they refused to leave it. They were caught in fear. So what they did to Black Beauty is they took and they put a cloth over the top of his eyes so that he couldn't see and by reducing and removing sight from the horse the horse could listen to the voice of the person who was guiding him out of that barn that's exactly why it is that God only gives to us his word because if we saw him in his glory we would never ever be able to escape our fear and those words of Jesus are comforting, comforting words. He said to his disciples, right? He said, who do men say that I am? You are the Christ of God. If any man would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Listen to him. Listen to those simple words words and cover your eyes to what you see what do you see just like jesus in caesarea philippi as the glory of all those herodians their magnificent palaces their extreme wealth we have to blind ourselves to the world and to its glory We have to blind ourselves to what wealth is promising us. We have to blind ourselves to what fame is. We have to blind ourselves to what the world is saying. We have to blind ourselves to everything that is in this world and listen only to the word of God. We also have to blind ourselves to what is right there in front of us because we think that that's reality. Oh, when we're young and we're in college or we're in school, in high school, we just think we'll never die and we never even have to worry about that question of what's going to happen upon our death. When we're middle-aged, we're so engaged with all those kids and their needs and all the programs and all the things that are going on, we never stop to realize that there will be a day in which they'll even be old and they need to be able to know who God is too. And then we get older and we think, well, maybe tomorrow or the next day. But we never stop to realize because we live by sight that the day is coming where there is an eternity that lies beyond the grave and how important it is for us to be reconciled to this God who is the God of Moses and Elijah in that dimension that is yet to come. We also have to blind ourselves to this judgment, this wrath. In the same way that when we walk with Christ to that cross, what are we going to see? We're going to see wrath and judgment and punishment, we're going to see weakness and failing, and we're gonna see people who are afraid, we're gonna see the world coming to an end, And we're going to ultimately one day, if we open up our eyes, realize and see that there is this God who will come in judgment and we are going to have to stand before him and make an accounting of our life. And if we think that we are going to do it with our eyes, I can guarantee you that we will never, ever stand before him with any kind of joy in our hearts. We have to listen. That in Christ, God has put away our sins. That in Christ, the world has now been reconciled to God, that God is no longer condemning. Paul says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. Did you not know, he writes, that those of you who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death, that whereas Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, you too should walk in a newness of life. And those words of Jesus that are so comforting, when we're afraid, when our life just doesn't, in our eyes seem to be the right kind of life, when things seem to be wrong. We hear Jesus say such things as, Come unto me, all ye that are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He gives us these promises where he says, Ask, and it will be given unto you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. And although our eyes see things differently, we must blind our eyes to what we see And let that word come into our ears so that it goes into our hearts and brings us comfort and gives us peace. Jesus says, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be yours as well. So when those words, when those words can come into our ears and into our hearts and into our minds, then we can take off this piece of cloth over our eyes that would blind us and we can actually see that transfiguration for what it's intended to say to us and to be. That transfiguration, when we look at that upon that mountain, it tells us a couple of really important things. Most importantly, it tells us that this Jesus, this little baby that was born in Bethlehem, this little baby that grew up and as a young man, he grew up and went all the way. To, that person is the incarnate Son of God. He is the one who created the universe. He is the one who gave gave us and gives us life. In him, all things in all of creation hold together. And that's comforting because we know that God has put away our sin in that man. But it also tells us as we look to that Moses and Elijah who were standing there with him on either side in that mountain, that Moses and Elijah were alive. And what does that tell us about all the saints who have gone before us? What does that tell us about our hope? What does that tell us about what happens when we die? It means that we are too going to share in that kingdom of God and we are going to live in the presence of God for all eternity with a God who talks to us and brings us comfort and peace. But for now, now, as we approach Lent, as we approach Ash Wednesday, we have to remember that it is our time now to go and put that little piece of cloth across our eyes once again. And as we are now heading down that road, down that mountain, that we blind ourselves and we just listen. We just listen. We just listen to what it is that he has to say so that those words can go into our ears and into our hearts and into our minds. Amen. May this peace of God. Surpasses all human understanding. Guard and keep your thoughts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.